Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Well, good morning, everybody. One of um, my uh, favorite literary quotes is uh, from uh, Lewis Carroll and Alice in Wonderland. And uh, if, you've, uh, if you're still familiar with it, uh, it's quite the wild, uh, somewhat psychedelic, crazy sort of a ride in Wonderland. And one of the great characters in Wonderland is the Cheshire Cat. And uh, the, when Alice she's, uh, comes across the Cheshire Cat, and Alice, of course, doesn't know what she's doing and where she's going, and she says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the cat, in its cryptic way, says, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice says, well, I, I don't much care where. The cat says, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Alice jumps back in to clarify, and she says, well, no, as so long as I get somewhere. And the cat says, oh, you're sure to do that if you only walk long enough. That's true. That is true. And I guess it really doesn't much matter which way you go if you don't actually know where it is you are going. So where are you going? Where do you want to go? What do you want the journey to be like as you are heading there? You know, it's a bit surprising how often we are running here and there, we're making our plans, we're, we're raising our kids, we're, dependent, we're, we're kind of deciding on uh, which college to go to, and we've got all of these big things going on. All the while, we really have only the vaguest idea of where we're going. I mean, I, I get it, right? Don't get me wrong, we sort of think we all know where we are going. And so if you think about it, we all really have kind of a different versions of really the similar plan. Um, so I think it's very important when we're younger, we say, you know, I think I need to get a job. I'm getting out of school soon. I should get a job. And that's, that's good advice. Go get a job. Uh, definitely do that. And then you're like, yeah, but you know, a job is one thing, but I really want to find a career. I want to find something that I'll do for the whole of my life even maybe. And you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get a car so I can have some freedom and some mobility. And I'm gonna, I want to move out you know, of my mom's house, and so I want to get an apartment, and that's good too. You know, you want to get an apartment, and so you get, you know, your, your first apartment, and then you want to get a better paying job, because now you're paying all your bills, and you're like, wow, okay, now I got to actually get a, 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 the real job, because uh, I got real bills. And so you get, a, you get the real job, and then uh, that's really going great, uh, and that's all really leading, we, we kind of think, to, right, like the, it's the great American dream. Eventually, I'm going to have to buy a house. And so you say, all right, well, you know, I'm going to ha get a house, but not just any house. I have to get the right house in the right neighborhood at the right time. You're like, well, what decides all of that? Well, the school district decides all of that. Hey, I've got to get a, the right house in the right school district. Well, why is that? Oh, don't be silly. We know why, because our kids need to go to the right school. Well, why do they need to go to the right school? Again, this is, you're, it's like a conversation with the Cheshire cat. You know exactly why they have to go to a good school. 
so they can get a good job, so that they can move out of your house and they can get a nicer car and then they can find their career and then they can get the even bigger paying job and the even nicer car so they can get the even nicer house. Where? In, in the right school district. <laughs> and you ask why, and come on now, this is silly. You should already be getting this locked down solid. You know exactly why. So your grandkids can go to the right school so they can get a job and move out of the house so that they... <laughs> so where again is it that we're heading? Where is it you want to go and all to what end? I guess if we don't much care where we are going, then it really doesn't much matter which way we take to get there. We're in this teaching series. We're calling it uh, Wait For It. It's focusing on one chapter of the Bible, Romans 8. And we're going to kind of do a deep dive into this, this passage. And we're, gonna, we're seeing in this that there's, a, there's like a veil that is being pulled back. And it's revealing a, a deep truth, a whole series of deep truths, and even some enigmatic sort of secrets that point us to a way of life. It points us to a way of living, a mindset, if you will, that increasingly creates this, this weighty joy that is not easily disrupted deep in the human soul. But it starts with a vital choice on our part. See, the scriptures paint this idea that there are two realms. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And so we have these two realms. The contrast is between flesh and spirit. But we, but we sort of have to think about that a little bit because you know, the word flesh here, it's a, it's a challenging idea when you're studying the Scriptures. And that's because... Words have a whole range of meanings, a whole semantic range. And, and as soon as you pick one or two words to bring this Greek word, Sarks, out of the Greek language and context and try to bring it into the English language, you've got to pick one or two words to kind of capture it. And as soon as you do it, you will lose some of the nuance that can be picked up in the original. And so it's, it's a very challenging thing. And the commentators and, and the scholars over the years, they go back and forth and trying to figure this out in, in a way, because when they say flesh, for some readers today, you're just going to think of the physical stuff. And, it, and it, it does include that. It includes your actual body, your physical body. And you might say, well, it's the stuff that my bones hang on. That's my flesh. Well, yeah, but it's also your bones. Your bones are part of this this fleshly existence. And for some of us, if you grew up in church, you might have remembered preachers really talking about sins of the flesh or fleshly desires. And so you have this idea that flesh is a bad thing. It's not a good thing. Uh, and, and it is related to those kinds of sins of the flesh, but it is much, much more than even that. It has to really do with the whole of our material existence. And so it is our physical flesh, but it's everything that sort of results from our physical flesh as well, the whole of our material existence. So that includes our thoughts and our will and our habits, and, it, and, it, and it's everything that our physical material brains 
and our hormones and our genetics and our, and our physical and our psychic histories, how we've experienced this, this material world. It's all of these things together making up our material and temporal existence. Now, when Paul uses the word flesh, it is rarely neutral. Rarely positive and rarely neutral. It is almost always negative as if he's trying to tie it to a very deep and ancient truth of the scriptures related to Genesis chapter 3. When flesh, when humanity, when this material existence fell under the curse because of our rebellion against God. And in that day and in that moment, something broke. Something broke in humanity, something broke in the universe. Now the universe itself groans. And so this points back, it's kind of an echo of the fall of humanity, and it captures everything in the storyline of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 and kind of rolls it all the way through to our current experience of our own sinful nature and the the war that, that wages within our own souls. In some ways, you can almost think of it as easier to describe it by what it lacks. And so think of the flesh as the whole sphere of human existence minus God. Minus God. It's the whole of your experience minus God. Everything you do and all of the decisions you make and all of your hopes and dreams, they are all tainted by the reality of sinful flesh, your sinful nature. And then there is the realm of the spirit. And you can just flip all of that in contrast and say that the spirit realm is where God's spirit and therefore his power, his love, his forgiveness, his grace will transform this sinful human creature into redeemed children. That's the the two realms that the scriptures talk about. And choosing to remain in the realm of the flesh has horrific consequences. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. They do not belong to Christ. You know, every time there's like a major a natural catastrophe that happens, especially hurricanes, because we see them coming, and so everybody gets on the news and they're like, hey, you know, the local authorities here, likely this uh, hurricane is going to grip through your, your neighborhood, it's going to cause widespread flooding, all sorts of destruction, lots of people are going to get hurt, probably lots are going to die, you all need to evacuate. And then a whole bunch of people evacuate and they show us pictures of, of cars streaming out of, out, out of the danger zones, and inevitably... There's a bunch of yahoos that won't leave, right? And so, and so I know there's some people that can't leave, and I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that could leave, they have the resources to leave, and they simply don't leave. And at first I think, what boneheads? Why are you doing this? We're going to spend the next three days watching like uh, first responders risk their lives to help you get out of danger when three days ago we told you to get out of danger yourself. And so at first you're like, come on, that is so ludicrous. And then I think in the back of my mind, I'm like, but would I leave? Because I haven't always had a great relationship with risk. Like, often it, things look like better ideas to me than they might to other people. And so I look at it and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'd want to stay. Maybe I want to protect my house. What if I get a leak and I can simply patch up the window and save my house and save my... And what if there's a stray dog running down the street that needs to be rescued and I want to be that guy and so I should, I should with no training, stay put. 
because that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, maybe I should. I'll probably be fine. It'll work itself out just okay for me. And so I kind of have this, like, not a great relationship with making really good decisions about stuff like that. Uh, and so I kind of wonder, like, would I be one of those boneheads on the, 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 the news who was like, all right, man, I guess that's, you know. And, and the thing is, it could kill you. They already told you it could kill you. It's like, you really should heed the warning and, and get out of Dodge. But I'm not sure, not sure we do. And what Paul's talking about here is way worse than physical death. And so often we just ignore it. We hear the warning and we just go, I don't know, maybe it doesn't apply to me. And it's as if Paul, he wants to, he wants to just kind of drive this point home. And so he lingers on this idea at some length. He's like, it's, it's the mind guff, it's death. And when you read the context, this isn't just your physical death. This is about a spiritual death. This is a separation from God that starts in the realm of the flesh and that we continue in throughout our earthly lives. And God says, if that's who you want to be and where you want to go and how you want to be separated from me, then I will let you do that for all of time. He's pleading with us not to, but it's actually the natural result. When we talk about hell and what the hell is and separation from God and all that kind of stuff in the scriptures, Jesus spoke about hell all the time, more than almost any other single topic. He continued to hit on this. Why? Because he understood that there is great risk here. There are horrific results if we continue to live in the realm of the flesh and resist the gift and the promise and the hope that Jesus was offering us. And it also says that we're hostile to God. You know, a lot of parallelism in the Bible, and so you can kind of pick something up here. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life. That's kind of where you expect it to, like, put a period there, like, right there, because it's parallel. It's perfect. It's, it, it, it makes sense. But he adds, he says, is life and peace. You know, and peace kind of has this interesting idea. Like, it, can, it can be a word that we're like, oh, it's peace. It's nice. It's sweet. You know, but, but I don't think that's the, the idea here because I think peace is being, being uh, linked to this verse. I think it's, it's added up here because he knows where he's about to go, that the mind governed by the flesh is not peace. It's hostile to God. And I know there's a whole lot of folks that feel like, listen, I'm not hostile to God. I just don't really give him any interest. I'm just not really that particularly connected, and I don't really care, but I'm not hostile to God. That puts me in such a, a violent state of mind, and I'm not a violent person. And God is saying, listen, but, but in actuality, if you are standing against my plan for your life, if you're resisting the realm of the Spirit, and you're continuing to dwell in the realm of the flesh, it's considered hostility to me. It's as if you're shaking your fist in rebellion against me. There is no peace. There is no harmony. There is no shalom. It's hostility. And he says it doesn't submit to God's law. It doesn't submit to God's law. And this is what I found. I was thinking about this quite a bit this last couple of weeks, and I, I just found it so interesting because when, when we think about law, I think many of us tend to have a little bit of a negative association with law. And, and, I, and, and I know, I think I know some of the reasons why at least. You know, I think we don't often love our own laws, right? Because like almost everyone here sped to church. Right, so there was like almost no speed, speed limit sign that you thought was reasonable. And, and I understand that because they're all unreasonable. They're all about 15 miles too slow. They must have been made for a different age. Nobody's updated the signs. I don't understand. There's probably a lawyer involved. 
but like, why can't we just upgrade all the signs? I got two parking tickets in front of my house. And you think, how in the world do you get parking tickets in front of your house? Well, because, well, we park our cars in an in a mar- area that's marked one hour parking. Some of you are like, well, that's dumb. But you see, they haven't enforced those laws in like 15 years. And there was a letter sometime, we think, in the past that said, we're not going to enforce those signs. And so we've been parking there. So for 15 years, many of you have parked there for more than an hour. They gave us two tickets, 80 bucks each. My cars, my street. I was like, this is wrong. This is unjust. We should fight, which we did. And and it it doesn't matter. They're like, did you park there? We're like, yeah, we parked there because lawyers were involved. And And so we... We tend to have this negative view of law and lawyers. And I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why we would have a negative view of lawyers. It just, it boggles the mind. But, but, and so, like, we, we have this idea in our heads. But, but, you see, that's, you know, that's when we are thinking about all of the ways that laws don't actually represent human thriving, or at least not our thriving in that particular moment in the realm of the flesh. But when the Bible talks about God's law, He's referencing a body of laws that were designed to enhance human flourishing. We saw this even last week as we began our study. The the law of righteousness is a law of love. It wasn't Jesus who told us that we had to love our neighbors. It was actually the Levitical law that first said it. Jesus later reiterated it, that this is the heart of everything we do. Love God with all your heart. Love people as yourself. But that was rooted in a deep biblical theology of law-abidingness found in the Old Testament scriptures because this was how humans were going to flourish. When you read about the law in the Psalms, these guys sing about the law like it's the best thing on the planet. They're like, I love the law. The law is amazing. It's fantastic. Can you imagine us singing, that, saying, singing those songs about the 20-mile-an-hour speed limit zones in front of schools? Like, we don't. We don't sing, oh, God's law, this is so beautiful. I'm so glad you're making me drive slow in front of the school where the kids are crossing. We're, like, upset about it. We actually repealed those, not the signs, just the penalty for the signs. We, we argued so much they removed all the cameras because our heart doesn't think law is a good thing, and Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's saying, listen, when you're talking about the law of God, this is, this is about kindness and goodness and mercy, and it's about pr- protecting the weak, and it's about helping humans thrive and flourish in our environment and with each other, and as nations, there's laws that govern all of these things, because that's hu- the goal is the absolute best in human flourishing. So when the scriptures say, that you do not submit to God's law, that's what it's talking about. It's saying at your very core, you no longer have absolute human flourishing as your interest. He tells us, it's not only that, you, you can't even do it. There's a hopelessness to it that makes even our best efforts to save ourselves or our societies by doing good, utterly fruitless. You simply can't do it. In fact, he goes on, he says, if you're in the realm of the flesh, you cannot please God. And this is such a fascinating idea because, you know, I think one of the reasons that people will continue to resist the realm of the, fla- the, realm of the spirit and remain in the realm of the flesh is because they're really doing their best to clean up the realm of the flesh. They're working really hard and they're trying to do good things. 
And there's a part of us that really does believe if I do these things and I work to create a more just and stable and, and, and equitable kind of an environment, and if I protect the environment, the physical environment, and we, we figure out ways to do that, then, then this is good. And that has to be able to please any sort of God or deity that may or may not be out there. And the Bible says, actually, you can't. You actually can't. Even the good that you do isn't ultimately going to be pleasing to God. Imagine why, for, with me for just a minute. Let's say you're able to create fairness in wealth distribution and kindness to those uh, who need help, but you accomplish it without reference to God or without reference to them being stamped with the image of God, without them having inherent worth and value in the eyes of an eternal creator. And let's say that you have succeeded in nudging a group of people, a tribe or a city or, or even a whole country or a culture. Maybe you've succeeded in nudging a group of people a bit closer to earthly nirvana. You have been able to do that. You have, you, you have you've be able, you've created a type of secular utopia. But you may have very well made its inhabitants, the citizens of that utopia, twice the citizens of hell. Think, like, how could you do that? Because you're teaching them to live without God. You're trying to show them, you're trying to create an environment where the ultimate authority is still human, which means as soon as the winds shift, and if you study history, they always shift. And that little nirvana and that little utopia you thought, you're going to find out that it came at the cost of someone else. And as things start to shift and, and, and the wind starts to blow, you're suddenly going to watch these things begin to unravel. And you're going to see wickedness done in the name of good. History, human history is a continual story of that kind of failure. These, these utopia-seeking people trying to make the, the realm of the flesh our ultimate, our final home, and it ends in horrific tragedies. Greed starts to take hold. Sexual permissiveness starts to violate our deeper soul longings. Our philosophies make us hostile to authority. And this is how it has always been, and this is how it will always be when mankind governs ourselves with the values of the realm of the flesh. You think of Jesus telling Peter, he's like, you know, guys, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to suffer. This is going to be a reality. This is part of my call. This is what I have to do. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, absolutely not, Jesus. That's not going to happen. And you remember what, what, some of you might remember what, what Jesus told Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's like, oh, hey, 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 this is bad. Killing Jesus, that's on my bad list. Definitely not something we're going to let happen. We'll rise up. We'll fight. We'll take up arms to protect Jesus. Of course we would. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. That's the part we remember. You know what the reason Jesus gives? He says, it's because you don't have the thoughts of God. You don't have the concerns of God. You have, you have only the concerns of humanity, of people, of the, of the realm of the flesh. Peter would have thought he was doing an absolutely amazing thing. And even when it seems like good stuff, this doesn't please God because it's actually done with a heart of rebellion against our creator. And God, God knows that it will ultimately lead us even further from him. And this is why he tells us they don't belong to Christ. 
They don't belong to Christ. Now, it's, it's hunting season, and uh, I hunt, and so I'm mostly a deer hunter and uh, a duck hunter, so bow and shotgun. And, um, and we have all sorts of rules, because laws. And, and so there's rules, like what you can do and how you can do it and, 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 and trying to keep it right and safe and humane and all of this, and they're good rules, actually. Lots of, lots of really good laws uh, related to it and governing it. But I've never gotten into trapping. It's pretty fascinating, actually, because the rules, all, they seem all different now. So in trapping, your goal is to put out a trap and hide it real well. Make it look as much like the natural environment as you can. And then you use bait, which you know, other hunters aren't allowed to do. You can't use bait. And so you use bait, little, little tidbits. You, you put out a little snack buffet for your prey. Things that they're going to really love. Things that are going to be super tasty. Oh, look, a peanut. And they run over and they get the peanut. And, oh, look, a raisin. And they run over and they get a raisin. And just when they're getting super comfortable and they're, they're satiating their hunger, all of a sudden they see in a nice, warm, hiding spot into the greens and grasses, they see a little, a little something there that looks even better than what they've had. And they sure enough go into this mysterious little thing and bam! Predator gets their prey. The Bible uses this kind of language to describe what happens in the realm of the flesh. See, the realm of the flesh is not going to give up its prey readily. It sets traps all along the way. It attempts to ensnare us and to keep us self-absorbed and easily pleased and apathetic about what really matters such that we barely have a clue as to where we are actually headed but you don't need to remain in that realm. He actually tells us, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You are not in the realm of the flesh. And this is an, in, this is an unbelievable and incredible promise. He's saying, listen, you don't have to live that way. So all of these things that are related to the realm of the flesh, you actually get to see all of these things reversed. And if you have decided to leave the realm of the flesh and enter into the realm of the spirit, then all of these promises are yours. Instead of death, you now have life, life eternal, life abundant, life with your creator. The way it was intended to be, we get the beginning of that now and we are promised it for all of eternity. Instead of hostility, we're now at peace with God, no longer shaking our fist. And instead of not being able to submit to God's law, now we are increasingly delighting in God's good ways. And so we read the scriptures and at first what looks to us is something that we're like, I'm not so sure about that. But eventually it starts to take root in our souls and we suddenly start to delight in the ways of God, nor can it do so. But he actually says, no, now you're empowered to follow. He says, you're in the realm of the spirit, but on top of that, you're not just in the realm of the spirit, the spirit is in you. The spirit of Christ is in you. The resurrection power of Jesus is in you, awakening you, bringing you to new life, transforming your soul, which means actually now, instead of being unable to do it, it's actually all you're going to be able to do. You're going to be empowered to do it, and it is going to be inevitable in you if you're living in the realm of the Spirit. And instead of being, not being able to please God, now our lives can bring a smile to God's face. Imagine that, being able to... to to meet with the creator of the universe and know that his smile is upon your life. That he looks at you as a child, as a son and as a daughter and, 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 and like a new parent just bursts open with all of these joy. Somebody said, you know, with the kids, like you could just stare at your babies like for hours and hours and hours and you're like, just 
Google and oh my god, oh, look, look how cute, look at all the fingers. And like we have all of this, these great emotional experiences. It's like they're trying to paint this picture that God, he's looking at our lives and he has joy and pleasure. Do you feel that? Do you sense that God is smiling on your life? Because you can. That's what, that's what the realm of the Spirit promises us. He says you don't belong to Christ, but of course now we are in fact Christ's very own. And these are such beautiful promises. And it will transform the way you live. It will transform your values. It will transform the things that you pursue here and the directions you head and the roads that you walk down. It will transform how you walk down those roads. A number of years ago in Guangzhou, China, there was a house church, a few hundred or so people. Oh, by, uh, by the way, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. Those of you who are Lunar New Year, Happy New Year. There's a number of years ago in, in uh, Guangzhou, this house church was not an authorized uh, Chinese church. And that means, of course, that they would be harassed by the, the Chinese government. And in the past, uh, they had tried to slow down the work of this, many of the churches, but this particular church uh, that we're talking about, and they had seized their Bibles and seized their songbooks. And one time they actually found where they were meeting and they just took all their chairs. And so this church, as it gathered illegally in China, would sit on the floor. And their leaders would come through and continue to teach God's word, often having their Bibles and their tools uh, for ministry continually taken from them. At one point, uh, this group had been meeting in, in, a, in a kind of an, an add-on to a house and the whole part of that house was torn down. The government officials came in and just knocked it down so that they wouldn't have a place to meet anymore. And yet, they continued. And these Christians still gathered, knowing all of the, the risks. And by this time, their pastor, Pastor Lee, he had been arrested so many times that he began to lose count. That was it. He just, you know, like, hey, like, how many times have you been arrested? How many times have you been beaten? He's like, it's all kind of blurring together at this point. It's been so many times he just simply can't even remember how much he has suffered. Well, that night, they gathered up for worship and Pastor Lee was teaching. The Chinese Public uh, Service Bureau, they raided the building, lots of officers to do a very public and very rough, brutal arrest of Pastor Lee. Try to instill some fear in the rest of the Christians. And as they were rough handling him to their cars, his wife starts to press her way through the crowd to give him the little black bag that he had had while he was teaching. It's a little black bag that Pastor Lee always kept with him. And of course, the police, they demand to know what's in the bag that they're, try that they're trying to get Pastor Lee to take before he's hauled off to prison. And he says, it's just a, it's a blanket and a change of clothes. And they're like, why do you carry around a blanket and a change of clothes? And he says, because I've been expecting you. He's known. It was just a matter of time. This guy knows where he's heading and he's already packed his bags. Because it's going to be inevitable for him. How is it you can live in the face of such risk and such threat and simply not live by the rules of the realm of the flesh? He's living. He's already been transported into the realm of the Spirit. 
Pastor Lee had promised he was going to preach the good news of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ alone until the day he died. A little memo had been written about him and the authorities had said his heart refuses to die. They could not break him and continued the arrests and beatings trying to re-educate him. Well, his wife, Cho Xiao, she had a message for all of the brothers and sisters outside of China as they sent their condolences uh, to her. And she said, don't feel sorry for us. Don't feel sorry for us, she said. At least we are constantly reminded that we are in a spiritual war. We know for whom we are fighting. We know who the enemy is, and we are fighting. Perhaps, she went on to say, we should pray for you Christians outside of China. In your leisure, in your affluence, in your freedom, sometimes you no longer realize that you are in spiritual warfare. How is it that we get to live this way? Counter to the values of the world, counter to the fears of the world, with courage in the face of whatever we might be challenged with. See, not everyone lives in the realm of the Spirit. The Scriptures make this very clear. And so the question for you is, will you cross over? If you have never made this decision to leave the realm of the flesh and cross over into the realm of the spirit, I have to ask you, why? Why? What are you waiting for? Do you have a better offer? Because I would love to hear it. I want my life to reflect what truly and fully and really matters. And if you know what that is, and it's not the realm of the spirit, please let us know. In fact, I'd say you have an obligation to let us know. This is part of the reason why Christians have continued to teach and preach and govern the face of the earth. People look at it and they go, why are you doing this? Why are you evangelizing? What are you sharing? Because we actually understand this to be the true hope of humanity. And if you haven't crossed over, what are you waiting for? The scriptures have, have warned us time and time and time again about the risks. And they have promised us incredible hope and joy and peace and patience. And if, if you're not sure, then you need to figure this thing out. After the service, we're actually going to have our pastors up front. And maybe you're going to want to come up and you're going to want to talk to people. If you have any sense that you have not yet crossed over, at least let's figure this out. Ask some questions. Have some folks pray for you. Ask that God would, would awaken something in you if you have any sense that it might be God calling you. Listen, the, the, the realm of death doesn't like the things of God. The realm of the flesh doesn't like them. And so if you love self-determination, if you love exalting yourself, if you're striving after autonomy, if you think of yourself as the master of your own fate, of your own destiny, these are all of the things, that the values of the realm of the flesh. And if you've never made this decision, I would encourage you, don't let this day pass without crossing out the realm of the flesh and joining the realm of the Spirit. Maybe you've never made it. Please don't wait. Now, maybe you've made the decision, but it's been a very long time, so long, in fact, that your life isn't marked by the kinds of things we talked about. 
Maybe you're looking at it and you're going, the realm of the Spirit, those are some interesting things. I'm not really sure I'm there. I'm not really sure I experience those kinds of promises. I'm not really sure I feel the smile of God on my life. I mean, I thought I left the realm of the flesh, but I'm not, I'm not seeing those kinds of things. I'm not experiencing. I'm saying to you today, it's very possible that you have actually already left the realm of the flesh, but these, these spiritual experiences and muscles, they've atrophied. They've somehow been muddled in this, this half-breed kind of a world that we now live in where the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit sometimes interact way more uh, intensely than we would like and we want them to be comfortable. And maybe you're experiencing more of what Romans 7 has to say right now rather than Romans 8. And I'm saying that doesn't need to be you. The Bible here tells us that in fact, if you have the power of Christ in you, if you already have the presence of the Spirit, you will live these ways. This is, you have access to these things. You can have this kind of victory. And so if you are already there, then let's just, let us join you in prayer as you say, I want to live in the fullness of the realm of the Spirit. I want to experience this every single day. And you can do this. You can take the mindset. You've actually seen it, right? The scripture that we were, we were looking at, it says it again. Mindset, the mindset, the mind governed by the flesh, the mind governed by the Spirit. You can actually come to the, the realm of the Spirit and you, we can condition, we can train our minds, our hearts, our souls to have an orientation that continually goes toward the realm of the Spirit. And that gives us a, a greater sense and experience of God's joy and his pleasure on our lives and we get to, to grow up in this in the fullness of our faith. This is a promise that he gives to each and every one of us and he wants you to experience everything that the realm of the Spirit has to offer. And you can do that. You can turn your mind. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week, but you can do this each and every day, pressing your mindset toward the things in the realm of the Spirit. Our hope and our prayer is that we as a community of faith will do this more and more, representing the goodness and the love and the mercy and the fullness of God's joy and pleasure and courage and confidence as a spiritual family here in New York to a people that desperately need that hope. Let's pray. Lord, what we're wanting here is the experience. For those who, who have not yet had the awakening of their spirit, we're asking, Lord, that you would do that, that you would, would call them out of the realm of the flesh and into the realm of the spirit, and that even today, Father, there would be people here who are making this decision, that they're making this the moment, the day, where they cross over, where they leave those things behind and with boldness and courage and confidence and trust in you, Lord, they, they enter the realm of the Spirit. And Father, I'm praying that those who have long dwelled and lived in the realm of the Spirit but have lost its immediacy, its power, its joy, I'm praying, Lord, that you would renew in us that Spirit. That you would show us what it means to walk with you in the fullness of the power of the Spirit that lives in us, with no condemnation, with full hope, with your smile upon our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.